dark. Hail your dark senior. Hail not mock needs. Hail your asir. Hail our O senior. And I welcome the Valkyries to summon me. Hail the day. Hail the sons of day. Hail to night and her sister. Hail the gods. Hail the goddesses. Welcome back to another episode of Through the Thunder podcast. Today's guest is an American Norse pagan known online as Tal of Odin. I was really honoured to share a conversation with him as I've followed him online since the beginning of my Norse pagan journey. I reached out to him only the other day and we very quickly organised a conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed. It struck me that it's often too easy to follow people online, admire their posts and feel like you know them. But so often we we don't reach out to these people and hold a simple conversation. Sometimes all it takes is a conversation between two people to make you realize how important community is and how we must all play a role in reaching out to people and starting a conversation instead of sitting on the sidelines something that I have certainly been guilty of. We talk about martial arts, fitness, philosophy, and paganism, amongst other things. And I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Through the Thunder podcast. I am joined today with a friend across the pond called Karel. How's it going, man? It's going really good. Thanks for having me here, Fraser. Really glad to have you, bud. I've got, I've been, I was very, uh, I was unsure about whether you'd say yes. And when you said yes right away, I was, I was very encouraged by that. Uh, I've wanted to ask you various questions about paganism and masculinity and martial arts for a long time. So I feel very fortunate to have you on today. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, honestly, the request kind of caught me off guard because that was definitely the, uh, the first time we'd ever spoken. But when I read that, I instantly got really excited and uh, thrilled about the idea of being on your podcast. So thank you. Awesome, man. Uh, that, that, that's, that's really encouraging. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, so let me just start off for people that don't know you, that haven't come across you before on Instagram. Um, who is Karel? And tell me a little bit about your background and your religious journey, if you will. Sure. Um, currently, I'm just a man living out in the woods. Um, trying to live right by the old gods and the old ways. And uh, for me, that looks like uh, living a pretty minimalistic lifestyle, um, doing a lot of outdoor training, uh, studying my, uh, my Norse ancestry, studying the old gods, studying the Norse pagan religion. And uh, all of that you know, started many years ago uh, when I first started in Eastern mysticism, and that all just kind of evolved And as I learned more about Norse paganism, I felt really drawn to it, specifically to uh, Odin. 
And sure. uh, days, I do a lot of work with, uh, with Odin and uh, studying esotericism in general. Fantastic, man. Um, that brings me to your username on Instagram, which I always caught my eye right away, was Tao of Odin. How did that come about? Well, I'm going to start answering that question by asking you what your association, what, what, what were your first thoughts when you see the word Tao? That's always the most interesting thing when, uh, when I get people who uh, where my sure. name catches their eye. Sure. Let me answer that. Uh, I will say that immediately when I see Tao, I think Eastern philosophy, philosophical, just that's the words that pop into my head, but I don't know anything about it. That's, that's as far as it goes. Okay. Well, that's absolutely correct. Um, Tao is a... The Tao is an Eastern concept that originated, I believe, in China. Um, it, it has definitely um, persevered throughout many thousands of years in China. Mm -hmm. But it's not really an exclusively Chinese um, idea. In fact, it's not really um, a religion at all. There are forms of Taoism that have become a religion based in uh, uh, folk mythologies and stuff like that um, that are pertinent to various regions throughout China. But mm -hmm. the basic premise of what Taoism is, is just living in harmony with nature, with the natural flow of reality, and just kind of, uh, it's kind of about learning how to uh, live in that flow state as default. I see. I see. So why did you feel for you, did you feel like a, a very natural progression in merging both of these kind of philosophies if you know what I mean, the Tao aspect and then the Norse pagan aspect, that just come naturally to you? Yeah, absolutely. There are so many overlapping um, ideas, especially with Norse paganism being rooted in, um, you know, animism. Uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, these are all things which have, uh, which have been articulated and expressed um, very thoroughly in, uh, in Taoism. So as someone uh, studying Taoism, you know, I, um, I go over and I study Norse paganism and I see so many, uh, so many of the things that I've learned in Taoism being expressed in paganism, but using different language. And then of mm. course their uh, unique mythology um, pertaining to, you know, various gods and deities in the process too. Yes. 100%. 100%. I think that's something that, I mean, there might be other people out there with that same approach regarding um, the Tao and the, Norse paganism aspect but it seems quite unique to you I, I do like it about you that you are open you seem like a very open-minded guy who's receptive to knowledge from all areas if that makes sense does that, is that is that fair enough to say yeah absolutely I, I couldn't agree more and uh, uh that's why it's the Tao of Odin you know um before I really got into Norse paganism I've been studying seriously now studying and practicing seriously now for about two years but before that you know like the way that i actually found out about norse paganism was you know i studied um the occult you know i've uh, i've read some of um alistair crowley's work sure. and i've always been really interested in you know and in, in the practices of magic um hypnosis uh you know um metaphysics and stuff like that and so the, the way that I um, got introduced to Norse paganism that started my interest was uh, I was listening to a playlist on YouTube and I was a bodybuilder at the time, but, you know, still had this interest in this stuff. And uh, there was a video that popped up in that playlist that started detailing uh, the stories of Odin 
and you know uh and, and all the adventures that he went on and the things that he did seeking knowledge and trying to uh arguably um mm -hmm. find some way to delay his inevitable end right sure sure it's like for me it kind of started for me um and i admit this freely and my listeners will know this that i looked at just the viking aesthetic and i'm a mythology fan so i just looked at that was just looking and then started to actually read more kind of academic stuff and then started to read about paganism because i didn't know anything about it then started to realize that wow there's a there's a treasure tome of knowledge here um, yep. and then i started really focusing on ancestry and then the more i gave to it the more powerful i felt in myself and the more I started like all that kind of self-doubt started washing away and I felt very at home for the first time in my life. I was raised, um, I would say atheist and with, with the odd Christian influence, but basically atheist. What was your upbringing? Were you raised religious at all or? Well, uh, a little bit. My, uh, my family, uh, my, my parents weren't really very religious, but they grew up in a very, uh, you know, Christian family. So growing up, we did, uh, my family did uh, attend church, but mm -hmm. like, I never really knew what was going on, uh, you know, in church, you know, when we went to church, it was like, all right, I get, you know, I get to go play with the, with all the other kids, you know, in Sunday class. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd run around the church and, you know, cause trouble and all that. Mm. As I got um, old, old enough to really understand what was going on in church, you know, like I never really, I never really went on my own. Or paid much yeah. attention to that. I, was, I mean, I was the same. I went through a period when I was kind of older where I was like, I felt like I was missing something my whole life. It was the spirituality and the religious aspect. So I, I, tr I, I did try to get into Christianity. And while I do think there's a lot of good stuff there uh, that you can apply to your life, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel what I assume people feel when they feel a calling to something. And I, I felt, I don't know if you, did you, would you say that's similar for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I think, you know, Jesus was a really cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. I'm, not, I'm honestly not a big fan of the Bible and uh, all the ways that it uh, it contradicts itself and all the ways mm. that it's be used by, you know, politicians and people in power in order to suit their agendas, which is how it's been used for the past thousand of years, you know? A hundred percent. I agree with you. It has. Whatever it was originally has now, and for lack of a better word, it's been bastardized or manipulated to suit agendas of very powerful organizations going back thousands of years so i mean <laughs> let, let's be real about it i mean that that's just my opinion uh, so I, I would be in agreement with you on that uh, yeah I would... and mm -hmm. they you know um you know peace and virtue and then with the other they were crusading and slaughtering you know other cultures and wiping them off yeah. the face of the planet and i know that's not all christians you know i'll never i'm never gonna accuse any Christian of being, you know, a crusader from a thousand years ago, you know, who has, you know, um, mm. wants to wipe out, you know, other religions. There are a lot of really awesome, tolerant Christians nowadays, but, you know, you have to also be able to face the fact that uh, the way the Bible is structured allowed for those atrocities to occur in the past. I agree. I would say that for me, uh, that I don't have anything against Christians. In fact, I think I'd love, I'd like to work with them. I think it's important. We've got to be partners in this, but it's just not a faith for me. I would say that I kind of moved 
past the Christianity thing when I dipped my toes into it. It didn't work out. I tried Buddhism and had a bit more success. Um, it helped me really start to understand. I was going through a difficult period of my life. I just lost a family member. And I started to read all about like life is suffering and and uh, reincarnation and all these various other aspects. And I found it quite comforting, but it, I, it didn't, again, I didn't have that full experience of this is this is for me. But I still felt that reading about it was actually was, was beneficial, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it had like some of the tools that you needed in order to cope with that difficulty in your life. But it wasn't really the bigger picture for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, some of the some of the concepts I found really confusing to get my head around. And that, that, that's probably part of the whole Western mindset. Um, I just maybe maybe if someone had taken me through it and guided me through it, I would get more of the concepts. But yeah, that, that was kind of a natural progression. And then I'd say I went through atheism again until I found um, Norse paganism. Um, something I wanted just to touch on briefly there. Um, how, how What was it like when you kind of told friends and family that you are Norse pagan? Were they very open to that or was there challenges there? Well, um, you know, my family, my father, and uh, my biological father is definitely an atheist. My stepfather has an interest in, uh, in, 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 Norse, uh, in Norse paganism. But, you know, I, I'm not sure that he'll ever be the type of person that uh, fully commits to practicing or like really discovering it, you know, through all the various means of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And then my mother is definitely um, spiritual. But she doesn't really, um, she doesn't really try to, uh, you know, she doesn't research things the way you and I do. She just has a very keen intuition and, ver- and a very uh, keen sense of, um, of there more than what she knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. Kind of lean more towards uh, Christianity, uh, Christi- the Christian sense of God in that sense, too. Yeah. Um, so you never, so you didn't get any, they weren't unsupportive of you or anything like that? Oh, um, well, I never really came out and told them. Um, I kind of just did my own thing. You know, I, I started walking around with my historical clothes, you know, they'd ask, oh, you know, uh, you know, what's the get up uh, about? And, you know, mm. I just educate them, you know, I tell them that this was a uh, traditional Norse clothing. I was, you know, honoring the ancestors and I was also, you know, it makes me feel connected to the ancestors in many ways. And it's something that I wanted to do to experience, to experience that. And, yeah. uh, you know, when it comes up organically in a conversation, you know, I insert little bits of information, you know, just to kind of step-by-step kind of, uh, you know, show other people what I'm about. But yeah, I never really came out and just told them, but so far they've been really supportive of it. That's that's awesome to hear, man. That's what you want. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who's, Friends and family might be more unsupportive, so it's it's always good when it goes smoothly. Oh um, yeah, very were, sometimes. Oh, excellent. Uh, you were talking about their um, your kind of traditional um historical kind of clothing, and I have noticed on your Instagram you have some amazing uh pieces there. I think they're great. What do you own? Um, as far as historical clothing. Yeah. Um, I've got tunics. I've got uh, tablet woven belts. Um, I've got cloaks, I've got britches, I've got weningas, which if you don't know what those are, those are the, uh, the leg wraps that protect your legs against thorns and various types of poisonous brush that you encounter out in the woods. 
Okay. And I've got uh, turn shoes, leather turn shoes, and leather boots. So that, that's by the way, that's incredible. I'm extremely envious. Um, I have yet, I have yet to purchase any. Uh, historical... Wearing this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've yet to purchase any of the historical stuff, but I, I intend to. I intend to. That that that's on my list. So one of the reasons uh, I brought that up is why do you? Uh, in a lot of your pictures you're wearing the traditional clothes so do you feel does it what's it do for you is, is, is there some kind of power in that for you yes absolutely you know uh, that's the reason why uh you know reenactors love doing it so much too there is definitely a power in this you know um i don't know if you know what the what the um, the collective unconscious is um go ahead and explain it to that, me. the collective unconscious well it's kind of like everything uh it's the idea that um, everything that has been experienced in the past, right, mm -hmm. um, kind of is stored in some way, right, in the energetic field of the earth or what have you. And so it's like the same way, it's the same reason why people, you know, um, say that sigils work a certain way when they're used by many different people and they, they, uh, they kind of collect this power to them. It's this, this clothes was worn by our ancestors. And when you wear these clothes, you you feel something in that. There's power in that because it was worn by our ancestors, by many of our ancestors, you know, a thousand years ago. But they it still retains that feeling. And the best way that I can describe that is the way that when you put on a suit, you feel more professional, right? Or you know, yes. and a little bit, you know, a little bit superior, right? When you're walking around, people who aren't as well dressed as you, or when you go onto public and you know you're wearing kind of trashy clothes, you feel like a bum. It's like yeah. that. It's totally different. It's it's very special. Karel, like that is so on point to what I was thinking about the other day. I was talking to a friend, Elliot, and I was saying exactly what you said there about someone putting on a suit. They put on a suit and it gets their mind in this place. And also you sometimes athletes will just retie their shoes just to kind of get their it's like almost like you're pre setting yourself up for getting your your body and mind in sync and going for it and I, although I hadn't heard of collective, did you call it, sorry, collective unconsciousness? Yes, the, uh, the collective unconscious. Right. Uh, that's really similar to like kind of how I think about um, ancestry stuff where it's like, um, you know, yeah, they're not, they're not here in front of us now. We don't, some of us don't know their names. It goes back thousands of years, but they're in your DNA. And that is something that you can tap into. Um, I'm not sure 100% how to tap into it. But I'm working on, you know, building that because it's there within you, that power. These people survived through a lot of hardships and you are also here for that. Would you say you share a similar belief or would you disagree with that? No, absolutely. I agree 100%. You're, you're on the money for me. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I do think the traditional clothing is awesome. I think it is a great way to get in touch with that. And it, there is power there without a doubt. Um, talking about physical and mental fortitude which clearly from your instagram is, is is important to you um have you always had this interest in you know physical uh training and martial arts and meditation or did this come later in life oh absolutely i've always i've always had this um you know when i was a kid um i i grew up watching you know martial arts flicks um you know Anything, any cartoon or any type of media that had like some type of fighting where, you know, it was um, it was very moving or powerful. I mean, that mm -hmm. that's what I'd watch and I'd obsess over all of that. And, you know, I, I started studying martial arts 
um, I would uh, get a group of my friends and, you know, I would convince them to like do like group battles. We would beat up, beat each other up <laughs> and fist fight and do all that. And, you know, I would uh, get into fights with other kids just to see how well I could do in a situation like that. Right. Amazing. Amazing, man. So what, what martial arts, well, what was the first martial art you learned and then how many do you know now? So, um, the only martial art that I've honestly ever had formal training in is Muay Thai. Badass. Nice. And then before that, um, I actually trained, I just taught myself, self-taught from, uh, from like classical books, uh, various internal martial arts, which, you know, stuff like, uh, Tai Chi, Xin Yi Chuan, Bagua Shang. And, um, I would, I would just practice that on my own. And I, I got really good at that, just practicing it on my own because those arts are very difficult to find teachers, uh, for. Um, yeah, that's, that's something I was going to just say to you because I've seen you do some of the stuff you do in your videos, which I've always felt like is, is incredible. And I remember asking you one of them, I was like, where did you, I think I said something about like, you were doing some kind of thing with a sword, some movements, like flow. And um, you said uh, you just basically read these uh, historical books. And I think that's pretty amazing. That you just You just read it, you put it into action. I think a lot of people, and I would say I kind of struggle with this, but I am trying to get over it is that learning that you don't need um, to go to an instructor all the time and have classes and stuff like you. There are sources out there and it just maybe takes a bit of guts and determination to put yourself through the rigor of learning it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, now when it comes to martial arts and uh, if you're talking about something that you're going to be able to apply to a real life scenario, of course, sparring is very important and sparring obviously requires a partner. Mm -hmm. But and prepare yourself and get yourself so far ahead of the curve uh, in solo practice by, you know, just focusing on forms, um, uh, practicing, you know, your footwork, which is super important. And, you know, most people that I see have terrible and underdeveloped footwork. Mm -hmm. And footwork is really important, too, because, it, you know, it's, uh, it determines your, your ability to move around, to be mobile, closing the distance, as well as dodging, and also being able to deliver blows effectively while moving. That's didn't they used to call uh, Bruce Lee something like the Cha Cha King of Hong Kong? <laughs> yep. Yeah, he could dance. He could dance. Great footwork. Uh, what? So you've I've seen you use a lot of weapons um, in your videos. Could you tell me some of the weapons that you own and what you're proficient with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my profession is definitely the uh, the spear and the axe. Those are my my two favorite weapons. But I also own uh, a sword. A, um, I believe that one is, I can't remember the name of the find, but it was based on a, uh, the historical sword that they found. Um, but yeah, it's a Viking sword. So I've got the spear. I, I, I know. I think I know the kind you're talking about. I've seen similar, uh, reworkings online that are based on historical finds. Very nice. So you've got the yeah. spear, you've got the axe, the sword. Do you use a bow or anything? Oh yeah, I've definitely got a bow. That, that that's awesome man um so with regards to training with these kind of weapons is that a physical thing for you or is it something more to it well it is um it is a physical thing it is a mental thing and it is a spiritual thing all at once if you're pro uh, practicing properly mm, mm. So, uh, do you feel do you feel kind of in touch with with um 
more kind of like the ancestors and the old ways when you do train with these weapons as opposed to just training at a gym or something? Um, you know, for the training part, I'm not so sure. It's not as much about... So when, when I'm wearing the clothes, it's definitely the ancestral thing. But when I'm training with these weapons, it's it's something else. It's really mm -hmm. uh, difficult to explain. And there, there, there definitely is the ancestral element for it. But the thing that overpowers that the most is kind of like the mechanical learning of it. Yeah. And I feel like that mechanical learning of it is more of a universal thing. And it doesn't really pertain to, to uh, you know, specifically my Norse ancestors. It's, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's just something really powerful about learning how to move your body and learning how to use a weapon as an extension of your body effectively. Yeah, I can imagine also it being quite meditative when you get into these kind of flow states with the weapons and you're using the footwork and it becomes almost like a dance. Yes, absolutely. It becomes just like a dance. You know, you're incorporating your footwork, you're working on your strikes and all with this weapon are moving simultaneously and working as a single unit. Yeah, man, it, 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 it looks pretty powerful. Um, and I think it's something that more people should look into doing. I know that near me, once um, lockdown is eased a little, there is a place that does um, kind of historic kind of Scottish broadsword uh, fighting. And they have studied all these books. These guys are very proficient in it. Um, and it's a class I'm definitely going to go to and, and, and have a go because it, it looks it looks like something special. Definitely. Yeah, you will need to you will need to uh some make some, to make some posts of you training over there because I would love to see that. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. I will. Um, just while we're still on this kind of um line, you you mentioned I think you mentioned I think you said qigong, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right either. Um, but I've seen you do in your videos, uh, kind of movements like and kind of breath work that looks like um like qi manipulation, um. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to me a little bit and how you incorporate it into your daily practice? Yeah, absolutely. So Qigong is basically, just as you said, um, that's exactly how it looks. It's, uh, it's breath work combined with slow movements. And the, the breath work combined with the slow movements also uh, combined with the attention or awareness of these very, uh, the various parts of the body that you're trying to direct energy to. Um, it, it causes a flow of energy that you can feel in your body when you practice it regularly. And it feels like a buildup of static energy or like a ma magnetic repulsion. And this can be trained. And, um, and historically, in, uh, you know, and this, you know, in, uh, in India, it was known as, uh, I believe, prana uh, okay. in Japan, known as ki. You know, this energy and these practices have been used um medicinally to heal people as well as to build martial power for thousands of years how important do you think um the breath work is oh it's so important uh you know your breath work your your the the consistency of your breath determines your mentality and your state of consciousness sure sure i for me the for me the for me hello oh sorry man you're breaking up a bit so if you start to breathe really shallow, shallow and very quickly, you'll, uh, you'll find your mind racing and becoming very frantic. However, when you slow the breath, right, and you become very calm and very aware of your surroundings. 
Yes, 100%. Um, I do a little breath technique, which I learned through a yoga practitioner. And it's almost like the sound of the ocean kind of going in and out. I can't remember. I think it's U- U- UGI breathing or something. Um, it, almost, it almost sounds, if you're doing it too harsh, you end up sounding like Darth Vader. But if you do it just <laughs> rightly, it's quite a relaxing sound. And I think it stimulates the vagus nerve. And if I've been in a really stressful situation, like if I'm about to go for a big job interview or I need to give a big presentation or something, and I just do that breathing beforehand, it just slows everything in the body and the mind right down. Mm. Um, have you ever done the uh, the Wim Hof method? Yeah, I have. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, for me, for Wim Hof, um, the breathing is good. I like the breath holds, but um, I think when I'm actually breathing in, those big breaths that you do to get all the oxygen, I sometimes think I'm pushing it too much because afterwards I feel like it doesn't feel like how I think it should feel. But the breath holds are great. I really like that. And I think the cold showers and the cold uh, exposure in general is awesome. What about yourself? Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. It definitely does uh, take some practice. And if, if it doesn't feel right, you know, I say listen to your body. There's probably there's something uh some type of way that you need to adjust the way that you're um that you're doing the practice to to yep. make it right for you but it I feels guess- like it feels like when i'm breathing in it just feels so i i can tell that i'm not doing it right if that makes sense but yeah. i still i still get a lot of benefits from the cold showers are you talking about like the in breath after your breath hold doesn't feel right um no no it's like more like uh so you're breathing so you're going <gasps> that, that kind of part I feel like I'm pushing it too much sometimes and I like I can almost feel the tension in my back afterwards like I've just held my body too tight. Yeah, I would you know, I would try uh slowing it down too. You don't have to do it on as intensely as that. Um you can try slowing it down and maybe that'll work better for you. Awesome. Do you do both the breathing and the cold stuff? Yes, I absolutely love the cold showers. It's uh it's better than a cup of coffee in the morning, man. It's yeah, me. I was. I went through a very bad period in my mental health a few years back, and I looked at Wim Hof, and I was like, "I'm going to try this cold. I'm going to. I'm going to try this cold shower <laughs> bullshit and see what happens." And see, I couldn't believe how good I felt. And it's quite. It's quite funny because see, for anybody out there who is feeling low mood or depressed or anxious, see if you get a cold shower, you don't feel depressed or anxious anymore because you're very much in the now. It puts your mind in the now you're not in the past you're not thinking about the future you're just in the cold and you're with the breath do you feel that as well absolutely and the other element of it is um the the healing power of hormesis Mm -hmm. right do you know what hormesis is no i don't so tell tell us a bit about that so hormesis is basically um some type of stress or damage to the body which in a moderate amount is actually good for the body long term Mm allow the body to 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 rest you know in proper intervals so you know when you expose yourself to a cold shower or when you're working out you're putting your body under stress you're actually doing uh, a little bit of uh you know a little bit of damage to it you know your body's being stressed out a little bit but it's a good kind of stress it's the kind of stress that your body recovers from and comes back stronger and that's what i think is is the reason why people I uh, get so much benefit out of it. You know, a cold shower, you know, you don't have to do it for an hour. You only do it for three minutes or, you know, not even three minutes. You can do it for a minute and feel the benefits. 
and your body is kind of put under that stress and your body is getting oxygenated when you're breathing more deeply in order to be able to tolerate it. Your mind is present in the moment. And then when you return to stasis, you just feel better. Our bodies are meant to be pushed that way. When we I don't agree. feel that way, you know, everything gets stagnant and that can manifest as depression and anxiety. Yes. One of the reasons I have this uh, podcast and account is to show people that you can go from being basically non-functioning member of society and be on the path to living a strong, robust, healthy life. I mean, the, a number of years ago, uh, due to various health concerns, I, I was a mess. I could barely leave my bedroom to go to the toilet. That was like traveling Mount Everest. And then going for a walk around the block was like, that That would take it out of me for days. So, so what I realized is it's too easy for people at that stage to give up and say, well, the big, the big scary wide world, the big wide world's a bit scary. I'm just going to stay in my house and not do anything. It's too easy to fall into that trap. Whereas you need to expose yourself to the things that, um, the things that challenge you. So, you know, if you're someone who is agoraphobic and doesn't like to leave the house, you need to try and leave the house. Um, you need to get in a cold shower and expose yourself to these things for the reasons you've mentioned and also to get those small victories because eventually those small victories uh, become numerous victories and then that builds your confidence and suddenly you're on the path and before you know it, it's not an issue leaving the house. In fact, you're going out and you're working 12-hour shifts, socializing with people and you're going to the gym and you're getting healthy and you're cleaning up your diet, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, my friend. Um, you know, uh, we've I've been through some hard times too. And, um, you know, that is, what you've described is exactly the way to go. You have to build up those small victories. You have to start exposing yourself to those things that are, you know, big, bad, and scary. So you can build up that confidence to go back out into the world like that. 100%, man. 100%. Do you think, right, um, something that I, I, I don't know, I can't remember if you've mentioned this before, so, so excuse me if you haven't, but see with regards to the philosophy of stoicism, that appears to be gathering popularity recently um through various people posting about it and also um it's become i just generally think it's become a, a bit more of a popular concept again um mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on stoicism i think it's great what i caution people against is trying to be stoic as opposed to being stoic and being stoic really requires you to develop a, a level of self-awareness and uh understanding of your relationship to the world. Um, and I, I do see a lot of, I, you know, I think it's great overall, but I do see a lot of people who are trying to emulate stoic behavior, which I think it can be counterproductive as opposed to mm -hmm. taking the steps to become a stoic oneself. You know what I mean? I get you. So people are trying to imitate stoicism, but not actually internalize it. Is that yeah. kind of what you mean? Yes, exactly. Like they had, they haven't put themselves um, through the experiences that uh, that that guide them towards stoic realizations, so that they're naturally stoic, and they're more so trying to emulate stoic behavior. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I think also there's a trap where people think it's like stoicism is the way, it is the it is the Bible, it is the Quran. You know, stoicism is the is the answer to everything and it's not the answer to everything and it should be as a as someone who seeks knowledge 
um, with an open and receptive mind, I think you should be able to criticise stoicism as well, you know, because there's it, it's not the perfect system, but it's certainly a worthwhile system. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's really good for what it's designed for, which is, um, how do I put it into words? What is stoicism the best at? It's, it's really good at keeping... Uh, learning how to uh, how to stay true to who you are in demanding circumstances, mm-hmm. but then people kind of use that stone heart mentality sometimes. Where appropriate. I agree, I agree. I think there's a, there's a good book for people listening if they are interested in stoicism. It's called The Daily Stoic. I think it's by Ryan Halliday or Holiday. Um, check that book out if. Uh, if the listeners haven't read it, it is definitely worthwhile. It gives you little snippets every day and a kind of explanation of what it means just for someone, if you just, even if they just want to get a little bit more knowledge and dip their toes in. Um, with regards to like um, uh, something I was, I was kind of thinking of regarding books there, um, do you have any kind of favourite Norse books or even, even nothing related to paganism? Just what, what, what are your favourite books? Um, my favorite books on the Norse side are definitely just the, you know, the, uh, the essential three, the, uh, the saga of the Volsungs, the poetic Edda and mm-hmm. have them all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I also, I'm trying to read the books by, uh, Maria Kvilhog. Um, her, her approach and her understanding of, uh, of Norse mythology is just, so advanced that you know like she doesn't really get the attention spotlight that she deserves and you know the world just isn't ready for it uh she draws a lot of parallels between uh eastern mysticism and uh norse paganism as well um as well as um kind of the esoteric side of the myths which are expressed through metaphors which you know i think a lot of people seem to forget you know uh a lot of people seem to forget that Norse mythology and Viking poetry was very largely based on metaphors. And I see a lot of people kind of interpreting the mythologies in a literal manner without mm. ever considering the, uh, the, 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 you know, the metaphorical and the allegorical kind of aspect of it. Yes, I agree with you. I think that it's very easy for people to, you know, people can be very critical of creationist Christians who believe that the earth is 6,000 years old, etc., or whatever they believe. But then suddenly they come to Norse paganism and they are very open to every story being this is 100% literal and that's that. And I, for me personally, I mean, I, I also have a philosophy of each to their own. They can stay in their lane, I'll stay in mine. But yeah. my belief on that is that, you know, don't take everything literally as heavy and it's laden with metaphors, without a doubt, without a doubt for me. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they kennings are a thing for a reason. Um, you know, uh, Norse uh, Norse poetry um, had to adhere had to adhere to a very strict standard in order to work. And so, the way that they made this work was by you know um, combining you know two different words. didn't work in a sentence, and they needed two more syllables. Then, like seasteed would be used. You know. Oh. That's really interesting. I didn't know that at all. That's fascinating, actually. What's the, what's this? What was the name of the author? Sorry, you, you said uh, Maria Kvielhog. Fantastic. See if you can message me that afterwards. I, I would love that because I would like to check out check out some of their stuff. Do you yeah. do you think do you think we're seeing um, 
I don't know if it's just me because I've joined this community maybe like six months ago, but do you think we're maybe seeing a, a, a resurgence or revival of the old ways? Absolutely. And um, I really think it's largely due to the fact that we have gone, we have gone so far um, to the extreme on the opposite spectrum that people are now just intuitively seeking a way to kind of balance this unnatural lifestyle that we've kind of created for ourselves. Yeah, 100%. I, I think the exact same. I think we live in a modern, um, a contemporary world that's moving so fast and it's riddled with infinite distractions, infinite amount of dopamine heat hits. Um, we've got algorithms, we've got social media, and the technology, this technology should be liberating, but instead it's confining. Um, and I think that this, for me, part of this as well was finding a balance, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, because- you know, to hit on that point, you know, we're, we're exposed constantly um, by the media to, to ads and corporations who just want us to buy their products. And, you know, and we watch and um, we watch and idolize these people who exhibit, you know, self-destructive behaviors. Yes. Yes. It's like it's like if, if, if a computer, an algorithm can work out all these processes at an incredible speed of light, billions of processes, they are going to be able to outsmart the average human brain. And that can that can wear people down and i think that I, I think that returning to the old ways somewhat and realizing that you know go outside and go for a walk in nature and connect with your physical and mental health more i mean this is the thing right and i talk about i talk about this a lot we say that i'll use men specifically um more and more men now are like masculinity is having a crisis men are killing themselves at an alarming rate but we've never talked about mental health more and there's never been more help for people than before so why why are more and more people you know suffering and i think part of it is because they're staring at their fucking phone eight hours a day and life is passing them by and they're getting sucked into these um this intense almost like you're staring at your phone it's like a portal to unhappiness when you look through other people's lives (laughs) And they, they have the fast cars and the women and all that. And then people are just plummeting. That's just my own perspective on it. I think that people need to connect with who they are and put, take some time away from technology. But also, technology is an amazing thing and it, and it can be liberating. It's just, it should be used as a tool and not worshipped like a god. Yep. Um, you know, uh, you said it perfectly. Um that's definitely a big problem of it as to why uh, masculinity is seeing a decline and why, you know, men are suffering. And the other part of it is also just like all the, all the chemicals, uh, pesticides in our food and all the mm-hmm. other things that we are exposed to that are fucking with men's hormones. Yes. Oh, uh, that's a good point. I was going to ask you what, what, what's your diet like then? Do you have a special diet or do you just go with whatever? All right. So, for my diet, as far as my diet, um, every day I consume eggs because it contains cholesterol and your body needs cholesterol to produce testosterone. There is no significant study showing that uh, dietary cholesterol has any effect on your body's overall cholesterol because your body's overall cholesterol, your body produces itself. Um, I also take a testosterone booster. 
which is you know, usually just consists of deaspartic acid, as well as other natural herbs that help your body regulate. Um, well, what's the name of it? It's a stress hormone, cortisol. Cortisol, and yeah. That's extremely important because cortisol is, you know, will mess with your testosterone, as well as cutting out uh, foods that include uh, plastic, you know, plastics packaging, uh, BPA. Um, sulfite, uh, sulfites, sulfates, parabens, all that stuff is just anti-testosterone, man. And you'd be surprised about um, how much of that is found in all the things that we consume every day. Yeah, man. Do you do you like do you eat a lot of meat as well? Yeah, I eat uh, I eat lean, grass-fed meat mm -hmm. because that is the healthiest. Grass-fed meat, um, cows that feed on um, pastured cows that feed on grass only, as they were designed to. Um, they produce uh, anti-inflammatory fats. Uh, the 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 ratio of uh, omega three to sixes is different than uh, grain-fed cows, so it's healthier. Mm -hmm. You get your protein in there, which is really important. And um, you know, I eat a healthy amount of carbs. I take a multivitamin. Um, I take my testosterone booster. I make sure I get enough zinc and magnesium, which are both very important. Zinc for testosterone production, which most people are deficient in. Most people are also deficient in magnesium, and magnesium is super important for your body's ability to cope with stress. It's the it's the mineral that it goes to to do that, and most people are deficient in it. It's no wonder why most people are stressed out with everything going on in their lives. My friend, we are so on the same page. It's scary, by the way. I uh, I'm a big proponent of magnesium um, and zinc as well. Um, my wife used to used to get these tingling in her fingers, and I said, "You need magnesium." And as soon as I gave it to her, gone. You know, yeah. um, I take it, I take quite a lot of magnesium for sleep and, you know, for just kind of muscle relaxation purposes. But uh, for me, I, I went on quite like a, a briefly explained my diet, right? I went on quite a journey. I was, um, we'll say over the last six years, I've experimented with so many diets, but I found one that's working for me at the moment. Um, so I went vegan, I went pescatarian, I went uh, gluten-free, all these various things. Um, wouldn't I wouldn't lose weight though. I just still felt kind of inflamed and rubbish um and then i said i'm going to go high fat low carb and i'm just going to eat whole foods um so i started to eat like liver i eat loads of eggs you know grass-fed butter um oh, yeah. goose fat duck fat beef fat i think i think you guys in the u.s might, might call it beef tallow um yeah so all that kind of stuff but like i eat steak all the time now and i have dropped since january I mean, I, in, I'm five foot eight, and I weighed eighty three kilos in January. So that's 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 a little overweight. But I've dropped ten kilos since January there. Um, and I'm and I'm fasting as well. I'm doing. I, I only eat between the hours of twelve and eight. It works. That's awesome. So would you say like you're uh, you're pretty much doing like a ketogenic diet, or are you getting? Like, I flirt between. I flirt between. I was. I would say I flirt between keto. And low carb. So, so the thing is, though, I'm not going to do this forever because I have read a lot about carbs and I know they get a bad rap, right? I get it. But they're not bad for you. Carbs are not bad for you. In fact, carbs can be very, very good for you when you pick the right carbs. Um, I don't think pizzas. What it comes down to, putting the right carbs in. I mean, glycogen is the, the, the energy source that your body uses most efficiently and you only get that from carbohydrates. The problem is, you know, like you were about to say, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but you know, like pizza and refined carbs like that are the problem, not the carbohydrates themselves. I agree. I agree. I, I treat myself 
once a week I'll have roast potatoes cooked in uh, like goose fat and I'll have a big pile of roast potatoes with a bit, with some lamb or something like that once a week. Um, and eventually, like I say, when I drop, I need to drop maybe another, I'm in a healthy weight range right now, but I want to drop more weight. I want to drop to about 70 kilos. And once I drop there, I'm going to reintroduce um, more carbs and get myself up to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't class it as low carb anymore, but certainly not high carb either. I'm going to still consume lots of fats because see when I tell people my diet and I'm like, I, I slather everything in animal fat. They say to me, you're, you're going to have a heart attack. And I'm like, I've read all the, I've, I, I've spent maybe a hundred hours in total reading the literature. There's no way I'm going to have a heart attack. It's just not going to happen. That is all, that's basically bullshit. I think that's when you combine, I think if you combine, if I'm eating pizza every night, and I'm having loads of animal fat, then sure, I'm probably going to have a heart attack. Yeah, or if you're consuming a lot of sugar alongside those fats, then that can also be a different story. Yeah, and, and that's, here's the thing, uh, Karel. Like, I was a massive sugar addict. It was crazy. My diet before this was horrific. It was just cans of Coke, um, chocolate bars, pizzas, tons of just junk all the time. Um, and I think, see, for the first six... For the first six weeks, my body didn't even lose weight because I think my body was in shock that, <laughs> you know what I mean? My metabolism was like, it was trying to work out what was going on. It was like, all this weight should be dropping, but it's not. And then, and then after that first six weeks, it started to drop. And then the cravings started to go away. Like, I just don't crave ice cream or chocolate anymore at all. It's, it took a while, but I would say after three months, it's just, it, I just don't ever need that food, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's the toughest hurdle. But once you get over it, it is the best feeling not having that craving anymore, not feeling like you need it when you know you did before. Yeah, I think I think uh, sugar is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, and this might be kind of exaggerated, but definitely the studies that they did with the uh, with the neural activity going on when people consumed sugar, they compared the kind of neural activity that people had when they consumed sugar to people who fucking did cocaine. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, that's that's why people, when they're depressed, they want sugary things because they're probably getting these uh, dopamine hits in their brain that's just comforting for them, you know? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a, a few more things, kind of take it back to Norse paganism for a bit. Um, do you use, do you have an altar space? Uh, yes, I do have an altar space. Um, I'm in the process of finishing my, my little cabin over here, so I don't have a proper altar space. I do have locations outside where um, mm -hmm. where I, I do kind of um, focus a lot of my, my connection with the gods and do my meditation. Yeah, you've but got a beautiful world, space. Uh, under construction right now until I get, you know, all my tools and uh, things out of the way. Yeah, you've got a really nice space in the woods there, definitely. I can imagine some really nice places you can go outdoors and kind of connect. Do, do you, you've mentioned Odin. Obviously, it's in your your username as well well but do you connect with any of the other gods yeah i connect uh, really well with uh with thor and as well as freya and honestly that i know that seems kind of um cliche you know like they're like the three most well-known uh gods and you know <laughs> you tell most people that you know other norse pagans that you know oh yeah you know i'm most connected to odin thor and freya they just think like you're like a surface norse pagan but those really are the three that i connect with most um, you know, yeah. being obviously for the uh, for the spiritual and esoteric knowledge, um, Thor, 
um, I speculate just because of my fitness, right, and uh, and how I connect with uh with with all of the different um, interpretations of strength and what strength is. You know, I've led a diff- very difficult life. I've gone through many different hardships. I've had to pick myself up several times. You know, I'm very well acquainted with what strength is. And when I think of what strength is, you know, of course, I think to Thor. And mm-hmm. then, uh, oh, yeah. 100%. Just something about that, about that feminine, that wild feminine energy that I, I just absolutely adore. You know, it's um obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not very well acquainted with feminine energy, but that's the thing. You know, it's uh, it's as a masculine man, it's that polar opposite that attracts. Yes, I completely agree. I think that for me, my first experience was Thor, um, then Frigg, um, for for kind of ancestral reasons, and then um, I've also made an offering to Freya, which was unexpected but i definitely felt something really powerful and i i feel the exact same as you there's something there's a pull there and opposites definitely attract that's really that that's an important thing um i haven't actually worked with odin yet um but i intend to very very soon i think that at least with the people that i speak i've spoken to uh, in the uk they are certainly more apprehensive i would say is the word to make offerings to Odin and connect with Odin. And and I can understand why, and that's yeah. not why I haven't done it, but I'm just wondering, um, like, I think, I think part of it is because, well, in fact, no, I want to get your, your opinion on this. So what, what do you feel when you connect with Odin? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to um, explain why I feel that they are a bit apprehensive and I completely understand why. Okay, go um, ahead. You know, ever since I was a kid, I've had uh, experiences, uh, supernatural experiences. Um, I grew up in in a house that um, after we moved out, the the people that we rented it out to uh, called in a priest to get it, um, you know, to to perform an exorcism on the house. (laughs) I had uh, I had a lot of experiences as a kid with, uh, you know, with fucking shadow beings and uh, weird malevolent entities. And um, that had a really big impact on me and my my sense of reality that I couldn't articulate as, as, as a child, you know. Um, as I got old, um, my entire view of life, my entire view of what life is is probably a lot different than other kids. You know, I questioned a lot of it because, you know, I would be awake and everything would be fine. And then I would go to sleep and I would be traveling through these different realms and having these things visit me. You know, while I was awake in bed in the dark and, you know, and just experiencing very strange things. So that already kind of shattered my perception of reality. And I think that's what Odin is all about, really, at the, at, at the base of it. To go on the journey and to learn the things that Odin has to offer, your perception of reality has to be shattered so that you can put the pieces back together. Mm. Do you so, think it's like a kind of shadow work kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a shadow work type of thing. And it's also kind of understanding the value of perspectives. Yeah. So as, uh, I, as I grew up from that child, um, you know, I, I went, uh, I studied meditation at a very early age. Um, you know, at 13 years old, I started meditating and I started having positive spiritual experiences, right? I learned how to, uh, how to astral travel. 
Um, I had experiences where uh, I, I, was, I had dreams where other people were in that dreams. And then I'd go and tell them about those dreams. And then they'd be like, dude, I had that fucking dream. And you were there too. And you're telling me about this. You know, it's like we were in the dream together mm-hmm. and talking about it in the waking moment. The, so I the... had a lot of positive experiences. And, you know, that still didn't stop me from having uh, experiencing a lot of hardships because our modern world is so strange. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, figure out who I am spiritually while navigating this very uh, superficial world. So I definitely suffered a lot um, during periods of my life, especially when I wasn't being true to myself. Do you think it's a journey you're still going on? Oh, absolutely. This journey will never end. Mm. It's like, uh, are you you someone who your mind is very set, this is it? Or are you someone who's open to having your opinions on things and mind change through experiences well i'll put it this way i am not concerned i'm not uh i'm not stuck or stagnant or fixed to any specific form i'm just trying to learn my view of the world is how things change not the forms that they take Hmm. i hear you man i hear you um see when i look at you and you know, see the kind of stuff you share. And I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here, right? I see you from my perspective as more of a lone wolf kind of guy. Would you say that is maybe inaccurate or would you go with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not, And it's not because I prefer solitude, but it is because I prefer solitude. But the only reason why is because there, it's so difficult for me to... Uh, for, to, for me to relate to a lot of people and to uh, express and communicate the things that uh, that I've learned and that I experience, you know? Yeah, man. Like no, I'm I do. I'm on a different wavelength than a lot of people a lot of the time. And, you know, I enjoy the company of other people, but I'm definitely the kind of person that feels like my energy is exhausted being around uh, most types of people for an extended duration. I, I can somewhat relate to what you're saying, by the way, 100%. Um, and... So when you, for example, with uh, your lived experiences, when you, like, I'm sure you've been, you've been to like a, a pagan gathering, haven't you? Yeah, I've been to the, uh, I went to the Kentucky Yule Gathering in December, and then I went to the Northeast Yule Gathering for the Wisdom of Odin in January. Amazing. So, so see, for me with kind of the uh, pagan connections I've made in the UK, we've not gathered yet, but we are going to gather um, in June for our first time. Uh, midsummer um which we're all really really looking forward to it's gonna be an amazing experience i was wondering if you could maybe share your kind of experience of gathering with the folk um what what was that like for you it was really awesome um everybody has their own experience of the gods so i would say you know don't be a stuck-up prick right and, and then go in there and just because other people have a different experience um you know whether spiritually or in their practice and, you know, and, and think that there's no uh, validity to it just because it's different from yours. You know, we all have a different relationship. We all have a different way of connecting to the gods. If you go into a gathering with that mindset, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to make a lot of really good connections with people. 100%, man. 100%. Um, do you think that gatherings are an important part of, of your journey as well? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, those gatherings were absolutely amazing. And I had a, an incredible spiritual experience with Odin um, following the, uh, the Kentucky Yule gathering. That, um, that, that just absolutely, it, it, took, it took my level of understanding to the next level and it validated a lot of things for me. Yeah, and man. It's so important and it's so powerful gathering as a community. You know, we need to start learning how to be a community again because, you know, we, we were nearly wiped off the face of the earth uh, once already. And now with the way the world is, it's pretty clear to see that what we are trying to promote is something that we really need in the world right now to balance it out. So we need to start, you know, making these efforts to, uh, to gather and to commune and to build each other up so that all of this can become, you know, uh, stronger so that, you know, we can raise the successive generations to, to have these same values and to understand what it is, you know, the, the value of being connected to nature and the value of living a balanced lifestyle and the importance of the gods, the importance of history, the importance of, you know, ancestry, all the suffering and trials that, you know, the people before you have gone through so that you could be here today. Karel, I think that we have lost uh, the contemporary world pretty much, at least in the West, has lost that sense of community. It feels very much like we are all uh, employees or individual units uh, existing in our own little bubbles and apartment blocks. And we don't know our neighbours across the door. Uh, we don't know our neighbours upstairs. We don't know the names of the people down at the local shop. You know, there's that disconnect yep. from community and i think that for me really connecting with these people in the uk that i'm going to meet soon for the first time has been really empowering man because there's that sense of we're building something that really matters here uh, and and what really matters is the frith is the is the peace and the prosperity uh, and the friendships within the community Yes, absolutely. It's so important. You know, it's it's not it's not just important for all the reasons that we listed, but you know, it, it's important for us to uphold the t the integrity of what it means to be human as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Like sometimes, uh, I sometimes feel again the modern like not to be too harsh about everything that's modern, but um, this world that we live in can be somewhat dehumanizing when it's just pictures of people online, and you're not really you know, we're, especially just now during a, a lockdown and stuff where you can't go where you need to go and interact with people in the way you're meant to be interacting, it can all be quite dehumanizing. Um, so yeah, like building community, man, that's that's so important. Um, I, I kind of had one more question for you. Um, and it, it was just if, if you had a defining moment um, on the journey you've been in the last, say, two years within Norse paganism, a defining moment for you that was like, this will stay with me forever. This is this is the religion I want to practice type thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, the experience, that experience would be the one that I had with Odin um, after the gathering. Now, the gathering itself was super powerful. If this had not occurred to me after the gathering, the gathering itself would absolutely have been the, the defining experience. But I had a, I had a direct experience with uh, meeting Odin after arriving home from one of the gatherings, the very same night, I fell, I fell asleep. And um, I, I went into a state of uh, sleep paralysis. 
And I don't know if any of our uh, listeners or if you have uh, ever experienced that, but it's basically when you're sleeping and your, your, uh, your consciousness is between uh, being asleep and being awake. And so you're aware of your body and your surroundings, but you can't move. And so while I was in that state, um, I, I felt this, I felt kind of a bad energy. And I started, I felt, I felt it smacking my foot and hitting my foot. And um, while I was in that state, I just said, Odin. And suddenly the entire room filled up with light. And this being that was moving in various positions rapidly, it looked like he was in many positions at once, appeared. And that thing that was smacking my foot just like instantly dissipated. And I remember I couldn't move in my body, but I felt my, my, uh, my eyes fill up with tears. And I remember just saying all father, like several times, like at a kind of in an, um, in a delirious manner, right? Because the experience was so fucking crazy. Uh, and that just, that, that was the experience that just completely, you know, like solidified this Norse pagan path for me and completely changed the whole game for me. Man, that is, wow. That is pretty incredible. Um, I think that is one defining moment that is that was amazing so for you pretty much being on this journey with Odin specifically I'm just thinking now that he's like the ruins and Odin are so connected and for me I have very little knowledge of ruins I'm going to work towards that eventually but the moment I'm still working on other things are the ruins something you ever work with uh and if so, how do you incorporate them in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I don't use them in the way that diviners would use them, where they try to use it, right, in order to, uh, in order to foresee or gain insight um, on their life and, you know, or future events. Mm -hmm. um, I use them in divination, but I use them as a, as a magical tool. You know, uh, I'll carry uh, a rune that I made, like Uru's, when I'm training or something. Or, you know, like if, I'm, if I'm seeking insight, um, I'll use Dagas or uh, Ansus to, uh, to encourage wisdom. Or, you know, I've, I've heard that Hagalaz is a really good uh, curse rune. Um, I'm not going to say whether I've ever used it for that purpose or not, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I've, now, now I know I've got to watch myself around you. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome, that man. I basically use them. Uh, I use them as I would uh, sigils, in order to empower um, myself during various times, uh, according to which runes I think are appropriate, and and have that energy that I think would be beneficial. Wicked. Do you have any uh like, uh, pagan tattoos or anything? Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a tattoo on my uh, on my on the front of my collarbone. That is uh. Iamat and runes and this was actually before um i started in norse paganism and it just goes to show like it, it was there in my subconscious because i could have had it done any sort of i could have just had it done in regular english you know and just regular english letters and you know everyone would have been able to read it and identify it, mm -hmm. it been easy, but i don't know why i just I, I knew that i wanted it in runes i got it in runes so it's, what, is, what does it say sorry because you, you broke up there when you went to see what it said um, it spells Tiamat, and Tiamat mm. is the uh, the dragon from Mesopotamian uh, mythology. She's a god, yes. the goddess that uh, begat the, uh, the the dragons and uh, was the wife of Marduk. 
I believe Marduk or Marduk might have been. I, I have come back. across Tiamat before, but I, I didn't. I don't know too much about it. So, what, yeah. what, why were you drawn to that specifically? She's basically the e of uh, Meso uh, Mesopotamian mythology. Her body was the was what the world was made from. Ah, right, right, right. okay, that's awesome. Very yeah. nice. I like I like the connection. Yep. Um, what I was going to say to you there was um, regarding um, ruins and things like that. Do you th and, and regarding okay, this is something I I, br I brought up the other day um, with someone I was speaking to called Elliot, and it was, do you think it's too easy to get caught up in the whole looking for signs and everything, um, <laughs> rather than yeah. just living your life? And then yes, yeah, signs do happen, but sometimes I, I I've spoken to quite a few people, and they're all they seem very. Uh, fixed on their signs and everything they're looking at. They're, that was a sign. This was a sign. And I sometimes think when that happens, they're missing the actual signs. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thank you for including that last part. When you focus too much on the signs, you are missing the actual signs. You're you're fixated on the signs themselves and not what the signs are uh, are trying to guide you on. Right. Yeah. 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 I think. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just, um, I think sometimes people are hungry and eager for something magical and powerful to strike them. And they're looking sometimes in the wrong places. And then when an actual sign happens, they've almost become desensitized to it. <laughs> and they're not, they're not with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's just more important to fo like focus on bettering yourself and taking advantage of the opportunities life gives you. Those are the most important signs that you need to pay attention to, because those are the those are the only ones that matter. You know, like if you see if you see a raven while you're out in the woods, like sure that could be a sign, and if it feels very powerful for you, then you know, then okay, that's great. Like that is that is also very important, but don't fixate yourself on that. Fixate on the signs that are pointing you towards the opportunities that are going to move you ahead in life. Those are the signs that really matter. That was really well put that's that's exactly what what i believe as well man and i i, I wanted to finish uh the, our conversation today although i would love to just continue for ages but i'll ask uh, i just want to ask one more question um would, what advice would you give to anybody out there who is new to the faith um just regarding you know where to start and how to go about it would you would you offer them any kind of advice yes absolutely um, this is the same advice <clears throat> that I give to everybody. So, you know, if you're someone that I've already talked to listening to this, you know, you're going to hear the same thing repeated. <laughs> um, so, uh, read, read the Havamal, read the Poetic Edda, and read the Saga of the Volsons. Um, read those, okay? And don't rush to read them, you know, read them at your own pace. You know, take your time to digest it, contemplate it. And also, you know, don't be scared to, to explore other religions and other cultures too, you know. Taoism has allowed me to have a better understanding of Norse paganism than I think most people who just stick to Norse paganism have. Because you're able to cross-reference things and uh, make draw the parallels between universal principles that may not be expressed so well in Norse paganism, but are better expressed other places. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, don't limit yourself. Don't pigeonhole yourself to one thing when there's a world of knowledge out there. Well, you don't need to 
for example, I was having a conversation with someone where it was a case of, um, I personally, I'm open to the idea of there being Jesus and there being a God, their God, and I'm open to the idea of there being a Greek pantheon and Roman pantheon. It's just that I don't worship them, if that makes sense. And also I sometimes say to myself, I, I can't prove or disprove it and they're doing their own thing. So for me, um, just because I don't worship something or follow that path, it doesn't mean I can't read about it and learn, um, you know, learn, gain knowledge from within that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like if you read the, the Norse pagan texts, you know, you, you're going to read about the gods. <clears throat> you know, you can choose whether to take lo- uh, some of that metaphorically um allegorically or literally and then you're going to read about the gods and then you're going to want to connect with the gods but nowhere in the mythologies does it say how to connect with the gods right but maybe you find their shamanic methods outlined in other cultures about how to connect with certain gods and you can use that in your norse paganism that's one example of why it's so important yeah man 100 percent uh i think that yeah no you, you've nailed it there um Listen, man, I wanted to just take this opportunity to say thank you very, very much for um, taking the time to sit down with me and have a conversation. It's been really, really fruitful for me. I've definitely learned a lot. I wish I wish I could go on for another two or three hours. We could cover a whole host of uh, pagan and non-pagan diet and fitness related things. And I would love to maybe, um, I'd love to in the future um, have you back on and we could talk about some more stuff. Absolutely. I would absolutely enjoy it. And I've joined my time. I've enjoyed my time here today. Thank you, Fraser. Listen, man, uh, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll catch up with you soon.